Dave's Psych Lectures, part of the Thunderbird 6 Podcasting Network. Hey, you Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. It's good to see you, buddy. How have you been? So, um, if you're thinking about your paper topic, let me know. Uh, I'll usually help you narrow it down. You might not need it narrowed down, but you might need it narrowed down. And it's best if you do this earlier rather than later. Uh, you should be starting to get an idea of the kind of stuff. So, frankly, anything you like in psychology, um, that's one approach. Anything you like in psychology, you can say, oh, I'm going to look at the evolution of that or an evolutionary explanation of some phenomenon. So if, if you like social psychology and you like the fundamental attribution error, you're going to love an evolutionary explanation of that. that. That kind of thing. I think that's one way to go. Um, so you can look at a particular behavior. Um, you could also look at, on the other hand, you could look at uh, some of the stuff about, you know, the, the big, the, the speculative stuff about the EEA, right? The era of evolutionary adaptation, right? At the, the time... Of, of walking with cavemen. So if you want to do stuff like that, which might be a little bit different, there's a lot of ways you can go with this. Okay, um, I, I have, I've approved over the years of teaching a course like this wasn't exactly this course. Almost everything that's ever been submitted to me. Just give me an idea, and I'll help you out. Um, so the most fun you can have is taking something that is some sort of phenomenon, and then that people haven't really gone after heavily from an evolutionary angle and then interpreting it that way. That's a lot of fun. So uh, if you're into that kind of thing, uh, you might enjoy that. What did I really... I took a course like this in undergrad. I took mine on. I did one on the evolution of male aggression. And I came up with some ridiculous theory about the white chromosome, which is completely stupid. Um... And, oh yeah, one on um, adoption. Adoption's an interesting phenomenon because you take a kid, it's not yours, and you raise it. It's not your genes. Pretty interesting stuff. So that's, I mean, people have done those things pretty heavily, uh, but, you know, that's, for example, those are the the ones I did. All right. So continuing our redoing all of intro set, (laughs) evolutionary angle, we'll talk about sensation and perception today. Um, Now, if you're going to catch a ball, you got to see it coming. Right? Sort of like giving. And that's a pretty complicated thing. Because you've got to take the inter- external, you've got to take the light that's reflecting off the ball. And you've got to internalize it. You have to do that pretty damned quickly. You have to also recognize that it's a ball pretty damned quickly. Because what you have to do to catch a ball is you have to make a whole bunch of really complicated calculations, right? To know when to stick your hand up to catch the ball. Or if you watched the football game last night, you have to make, if you're a referee, you say, they didn't catch the ball, they did. I've never seen a game-winning interception from, it's never happened in the history of the NFL. It was the stream. Did anybody see this last night? I mean, I'm blind and I saw that. That wasn't a touchdown. How could, like, I got the ball. It would work like this. You know, you'd say, I got holding the ball. And you have your hand on, just touching the ball. I'm holding the ball. And they say, you have the ball. And the other referee goes, yeah, he's right. I've never seen anything so bizarre in my life. I've seen bad calls in sports, like really bad calls. 
I've never seen anything that bad. And I'm 47 years old, and I even watched the Canada-Russia series in 72, where the Russian referees were like, oh, you're got a Canadian sweater on, that's two minutes, man. I mean, it's like, <laughs> it was weird. Anyway, I'm sorry, I had to mention it. I just can't get over it. So that'll be on the test. Um, <laughs> so those are pretty complicated calculations. So you've got to be able to, in to externalize, uh, sorry, internalize the external very quickly and recognize things very quickly. And think about this, we don't just see stuff, you've also got to integrate all your senses, right? So you've got uh, the sounds that are going on and, and, and the smells and all these other things. All that stuff happening at once. Uh, we can look at this in a bottom-up versus top-down way. Uh, typically, you think of uh, sensation being bottom-up processing. It's, it's going very simple. And perception is top-down processing. They're not that different from each other. It's one of these things. It's kind of like learning and memory. Where does learning end and memory begin? People say the definition of memory is the preservation of learning. Yeah. Uh, Perception is the organization of sensory information, sure. But there's a gray area in those. There's no bright line where these two things break off. And this probably, if you've who has taken Laurie's perception and said, well, I think Laurie does sensation, Dwayne does perception, something like that. Yeah, so you guys know this stuff better than me. Clearly better than Dwayne. I like making Dwayne jokes. He's a kid. I like to make fun of the kids. See, I think of him as, it's sad, I think of him as being 21 years old, and he's not. Or 20. Um, really basic principles, and again, those of you guys who have taken perception and sensation, you guys can stay asleep for another 10 minutes. Uh, the idea of thresholds, the idea of absolute versus, um, so absolute thresholds. We see some things and not others, for example. So, there is light coming off of, like there are photons of light, packets of light, right? Coming off of a light bulb that doesn't seem like it's on, but you've put a little bit of current through it. An old type light bulb, not, not one of the new fancy CFL light bulbs, but the old filament style. Um, there are photons coming off because there's current going through, you just don't see it, there's not enough. So it's below your threshold. It's like, you, know, you can't hear something because it's, it's too quiet. There's still a noise being made, but Right? I was actually talking very quietly there, so you couldn't hear me. But I was making a noise. It wasn't, wasn't a big noise. Big noise, of course, was the name of the funk band I was in in the 80s. No, it wasn't. It sounded perfect. Big noise was the name for a funk band. I don't know. Um, so the faintest stimulus is your absolute threshold. Uh, this can also be the, the low end of... Like, we can't hear below, say, 20 hertz. Right? We can't. You, no, nobody can. Remember the mods? They couldn't hear below. Did I talk about the mods? I don't know anymore. No, probably not yet. There's another class. Did I talk about it in here? I, I don't remember. No, not yet. That was weird. Most people hear about the mods and bad stuff. Right? So, we can't hear below 20 hertz. Okay. So, I'm actually making 
the, 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 this need move my finger back and forth makes a sound. Uh, not much of one, obviously. And even if I could do it right beside your ear, you're not going to hear it. Because it's not going faster than 20 hertz. Now, it's 20 movements a second. If I could move my finger more than 20 movements a second, you'd hear a really, really like low, low sound of my finger movement. Elephants can hear that. Like an elephant hears about 3 hertz. So like this, elephant can hear that. You do that to an elephant, like you wave at it, and like he, he doesn't see you wave, he hears it. It's like, what? <laughs> you might hear it, but see it. But like you can get an elephant's attention by just going, look over. It's those big ears. No, it's not the ears, it's the way it, it's the sensitivity of the nervous system. Um, then there's different thresholds or JNDs. Um, these are proportions, you probably know that, Vapor's Law. Uh, which one's heavier? That's, and that's why I like to think of, it's the easiest way to look at different thresholds. So if you take two weights, and one weight is 5 grams and one weight is 10 grams, you probably can tell the difference there. I mean, it's, it's enough to tell the difference. The thing is that 5 versus 10 is... It's not that you can tell the difference between five and five grams, because if I gave you a thousand grams a kilo and a thousand and five grams, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Let's pretend that it's 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 let's say ten grams to twelve grams, you can tell the difference. I don't know if that's the case, but let's pretend that's what there is for you. Um, then you'd be able to tell between hundred and hundred and twenty, or a thousand and twelve hundred. It's it's a proportion, right? That's Faber's law. So stimuli differ by a constant proportion, right? This is true, by the way, not just of things like uh, sounds and, and colors, like brightness, and also uh, of intensity of, 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 of light. This is also true for, uh, in, in time perception. In time perception, in a lot of animals, including us, <coughs> I think it's ever been tested. Uh, you can tell the difference between passage of time and it's a constant. So if I was looking at, um, I was looking for chalk and couldn't find it in the cutbacks. Oh, it's up here. That's not where chalk goes. Somebody should be informed. So if you were looking at, say, 10 seconds and 12 seconds, you might be able to tell that difference. Then it will be 100 seconds and 120 seconds. I forgot the graph I was going to draw. See, I looked for the chalk and now I can't remember the graph I was going to draw. So it's also true in spatial judgments. So is that five centimeters away or six? You could tell the difference there maybe. If that's the case, then you're going to have a favor fraction of 1.2, right? So it's, again, always going to be 1.2. I know all my examples for some reason are 1.2. Even when I change the numbers, I don't know why. It isn't always 1.2 for everyone in every modality. This is also true of a lot of all like other species too. This isn't just us. So it's Faber's law. And I know if you're into perception and sensation, you know about Fechner's power law probably, which is a little more complicated version of the same thing. Now sensory adaptation is when you get used to something, right? This is this is how. Uh, this is very adaptive. This is one of those things that I know you learned about in the intro, and maybe, I don't know, Lori might have said this, you might not have. Um, but it's the case that when you get the same sensory experience over and over and over again, right? You get the same uh, 
visual experience exactly the same, or if you get the same tactile experience or smell, eventually you stop paying attention to it. And in fact, if you can stop your eyes from moving, which you can't, by the way, you can't stop your eyes. There's a, there's a reason your eyes move just little, little these little cicadic eye movements that you make. You do this because if you didn't, the world would fade to gray very quickly. Um, think what? Well, you're getting exactly the same. Think about this. Think about how, cell, how, how neurons work, right? They're all or none. They fire or they don't fire. Once they fire, they have a refractory period. If the same neuron keeps getting the same sensory apparatus, keeps getting the same stimulation, once it's fired once, it takes time to sort of reload, right? Everything's going to go away. And in fact, you can do this. What you have to do is you have to cover your eyes um, with, uh, you can do it with ping pong balls. If you cover your eyes with, with ping pong balls that are cut in half, this is really kind of dangerous because they're very they're sharp when you cut them. But if you can find some, it's like if you ever go to those um, places where you lie down and get cancer, you know, like tanning salons. <laughs> um, and if you go to one of those places and they put those things on you, this is what they tell me, I don't go to tanning salons. They don't, they, oh, that's, I would go to Sunburn. It'll be great. It's like people say to me, don't you? My wife goes to, North Africa all the time. My friends in that Morocco want you to come. I said, well, that's okay. I really don't want to go to Morocco. I just got a sunburn. I want to go to a desert. That'll be great. I'll be dressed like this, all sweaty, wearing a black hoodie. That don't make But anyway, in those places, they put those things over your eyes to protect you from the deadly ultraviolet radiation they're about to put all over your body. At least when you have a cigarette, it's like, that felt kind of good. I know it's bad for me. You know. I'm going to go cook myself and get cancer. It'll be awesome. Did you see that woman in the States? The woman that's like, she's like 40 years old and her kid is like seven straight into the... Yeah, she looked like she was like 75 because all she did was spend all her time in tanning salons. And then she said people were jealous of her. <laughs> anyway, they put those things in your eyes. And in fact, what they do, they work that way. And if you stare into constant light with those things on, um, it will fade to gray because you're, you can't change the um, stimulation. And again, this makes a lot of sense. What's your sensory system is evolved like this? Well, nothing bad happened. Ignore it. Nothing good or bad happened. If it's the same stimulus being presented to you, there's no consequence to it, right? right? So if I'm going to get exactly the same stimulation, completely exactly the same, I'm going to start to ignore it. Ever notice everybody else's house smells funny? And yours doesn't. Right? Because you're used to how your house smells. And then you move away, and I said this in learning yesterday, you move away from home, like for university, and you go home with the break, and you go, God, my mom's been cooking. It's a lot of stuff with fish and old socks or something. It's just how your house smells. You're just used to it. You know? So that, and that again, it makes a great deal of evolutionary sense. 
on our chemical sense, smell, or one of our chemical senses, smell, what does it do? It, it detects concentrations of chemicals in the world. Right? Well, if that concentration is unchanging, it has no effect on us. Remember, evolution is all about adapting to change, right? It's all evolution works out. So if we're going to have something that's going to be constant and we're still around, we can ignore it. It's like how, you know, you go into a high school and run around where all the grade 9 kids are. It just smells like Axe body spray. And eventually you get used to it. In a way. I heard this great report about Axe body spray. And of course, they, they started selling it. They were talking about, you know, you, you guys are a loser. He sprays his body and he gets chicks. Right? But it turned out that they were so successful with that image that it became... They stopped having ads like that, you might have noticed. It's too much. Because it was so successful that now it was seen as something that losers wore. Which is really funny. No, it's funny. I think it's great. Think our ads are too successful. We're looking for the loser demographic. All right, so let's talk about vision because it's the one we know most about. Uh, Understanding process vision is converting energy from one form of energy to another. So we're converting light into neural messages. Right? Um, well, it's just a part of the EM spectrum. Right. So are x-rays and microwaves and infrared, UV, cosmic rays, Wi-Fi. <laughs> Wi-Fi isn't technically a kind of radiation. It's just radio. It's interesting to think about that, though. Right. There's all kinds of radiation. We are sensitive with our vision to one kind of radiation. And that is this here. Visible light. Visible light. Look at how thin that is, eh? It's not a very big wide swath of the EM spectrum we can see. It's a very small amount of the EM spectrum. Right, because if we've got... Right around here, this is where, for example, Wi-Fi is, okay? So if we could see this, we could see television waves. Well, not actually, television's moved over here, but not in Canada. Not in this part of Canada. So we'd get the Canadian TV and the American channels are over here, the digital TV. But we would have, if you could see all the Wi-Fi in the room, that would be bad. It'd be distorting and getting in your way. So you have extremely low frequency, which is really uh, used for uh, this is what submarines use to communicate with like home base, which is kind of cool. Think of radio. Is there still AM radio? I don't know, that died in the 70s. It's all just it's all basically just right wing nut jobs and talk radio, right? Then you got FM, which is, uh, I guess that's the CBC. I don't, I don't listen to radio anymore. Microwaves, so you get a microwave oven. Infrared, now, infrared is from heat. You see that, see that from heat. Then we got visible light, which is this little Roy G. Biff, right? Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, and blue, violet. Then ultraviolet. And this guy here, I think he's not looking. What's he looking at? He's looking at the lady. <laughs> that's what he's doing. 
And I think that's supposed to be an x-ray or some sort of trick bomb she's got there. I don't know what she's got going there, but it's one or the other. So there's x-rays up here, then gamma rays, which, uh, and then we can go into how cosmic rays over here. It's all stuff we can't see, right? <coughs> As a rule, dangerous stuff is here and on. This is ionizing radiation. This is stuff that breaks bonds in DNA. This isn't. This can give you cancer. This doesn't give you cancer. This is where cell phones are. Cell phones don't give you cancer. I mean, they do if you're making phone calls and ordering cigarettes that, you know, indirectly. And they go into a candy salon. <laughs> and, I don't know, ordering a lot of asbestos insulation for your house on a cell phone. Yeah, that, in a way, indirectly, cell phones lead to cancer in that way. On the other hand, over here, we got, like, there's a reason that they say, how many x-rays have you had? Last time, they may have gone for an x-ray, you know, this year. Well, they put that whole big apparatus on you to protect your uh, reproductive organs. Right? So it's a very small bit. Now, other animals do see here and here. We don't. Okay, and we'll talk about that in a second. But you probably probably never seen this, something like this back in grade four or something. I don't know. When you learn the spectrum, I don't know what that is. I don't know anything anymore. So long ago that I was a kid. I was watching this documentary the other day about the 1972 Canada Russia series. They were showing these kids at a school watching the TV, which was on a cart, because the whole country stopped. They didn't even watch the hockey game. They loved Canada. And the game was at 1 o'clock in the afternoon because it's 8 o'clock in Russia. The Soviet Union, as it was called back then. We're watching the game, and our, ours was in our gym, and they were showing kids in a classroom watching it. And I was looking at it, and I was like, Wow, that looks like it was a long time ago. Those kids look like they're, uh, uh, it was me, in grade two. So the kids were exactly the same age as me. It's like, I'm old. It's just that I mentioned that. So, the wavelength of the light determines the hue, right? Which is just the color. It's not the Vietnamese city of Hue, it's hue. And the intensity determines the brightness. And imagine the intensity of the source. Um, so the intensity determines the brightness. That's just how, how much light's in your eye. That's how much light's in your eye. And then it's got a wavelength. And light's weird because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wave and it's a particle. That whole quantum thing. If you don't, don't worry if you don't understand it, it's weird. It's really small. So it's like a quantum deal, so it's like a, it's a particle, and it's, it's also a wave. That's, I believe that's how Einstein, you know, said that. It's just weird. Actually, he said something like that. So light enters your eye through the cornea, that's the covering on the outside, and the uh, pupil, which is the hole in your eye. It's your eye hole. <laughs> you call people eye holes, I think that's a lot better. <laughs> Bloody eye hole. Let's do a look at you, what? Pupil. pupil size is regulated by your iris, which is the colored bits. <laughs> and behind the pupil is the lens, which accommodates. This is this. It's a lot like um, a camera. I mean, most most of us should know this because we've been practicing a thousand times. But 
it's like a camera, except that we change the focal, focal length of the lens, not by moving the lens, right? Not by moving the lens, which is what we do with a, with a, a camera. We change the shape of it. Because it really, it evolved, looks like, out of just a, a skin. It's just clear stuff. Right? And if, if you're going to evolve an eye, and you want to be able to focus, you want to be able to change, you want to change the shape of the lens, not move your eyes in effect. That's a lot less likely. It'd work. It'd be like, it'd be like a cartoon and you see something you like, your eyes can... You know. But... So the light that hits your retina, and of course, as you probably know, the image is upside down in your retina. You knew that, right? Because it's a convex lens on both sides. So, if this is a candle, there's a lens, and there's your retina. That goes there, and that goes there. And you end up with that. Ever do that in physics class in high school? They still do that? No? What do they teach you guys now? Just how to use Google? You get it, you do that. You kids today. In your Google machine, and your complicated shoes, and your rock and roll. Okay, so the image is upside down, your brain writes it, that's, which is interesting in its own right, I guess. Um, it doesn't matter, as long as the brain can, you get something that it can just transform easily like that, it really, your brain doesn't care. So your acuity is, uh, shape, is affected by the shape of your eye. If you're nearsighted, uh, your eyes either are too long, and they call you old long eyes, um, or your cornea is too curved. This is a nice picture because it actually shows, see, this is a lot like, like somebody on camera, except we've got the lens here, and it just changes shape. These muscles change the shape. The eye is filled, by the way, with a rich caramel center. I told the class that once to see if they believed everything I said. And the people were writing it down. It was great. It was an intro-site class. It's back in Newfoundland, and I said it was filled with the rich caramel center, and people were looking at me, and I said, no, really. There's, there are sugars in here, okay? And they get caramelized by the light giving. And that's why a lot of cultures eat eyes as, as delicious candies. And people were really, and they're writing it down, I said, no. You can't believe, when I say something that's bullshit, you should say, it's bullshit, Dave. And I got that idea from my old science teacher, Mr. Uh, Mr. Smith, in grade nine, who was a, uh, a fighter pilot during the Battle of Britain, which is just cool anyway. He was about that tall. But, you know, he killed men with an airplane, so he's got that going for him. And he would say, hawking everyone. That's how he would get our attention, harken everyone. And he, he started out just rambling about how all light in the universe came from the human eye. And I looked over at my friend Ian, and I said, Bert, because we called him Bert because his last name was Lancaster. Bert, he's going nuts. <laughs> he says, I know. So we put our pencils down and we sat. And he went on for like 10 minutes. And then he stopped. And he said, the only people in this room paying any attention and have any brains at all have gone into the night just so the rest of you are idiots. <laughs> you're 14. You're like, wow, this is great. He said, I'm not an idiot. It's the closest thing you could ever give to anybody for a compliment. <laughs> you know, you're not an idiot. 
So it's the other way if your, your eyes are squished in or not, your um, cornea is not curved enough, you end up being um, far stuff. So far stuff will be the best images in front of the retina. Okay? And again, this is stuff, you know, this is an interesting question. Um, nah, I'm not going to get to that yet. I'll do that in a second. Okay. The retina itself, two kinds of receptors, retina, rods and cones. Uh, quickly go over that, you know that. Rods are for night and brightness only. And cones are for day and they're for color. When a photon hits a receptor, right, sends a message by the optic nerve to the retina. Now the interesting thing is here, the way this is wired up, is because of this, we have a blind spot. Because all the um, ganglion cells, it's hard for you to draw. Uh, I'll try. So, if you've got your retina here, now, right about there, is like a, it's a blind spot, so everything goes here. All the receptors, they all have nerves that they all synapse on like this, okay? So from the side, here's your eyeball. <laughs> they didn't say blah, 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 English is a second language class. <laughs> Because that's how I teach it, right? You know, yada, yada, yada. I teach them Seinfeld expressions. And remember, you'd say, these pretzels are making me thirsty. So your eyes hooked up like that. It's like the cable going into the back. And that's what I'm trying to draw here. And I know I'm not doing a very good job of it. But you don't have any receptors here. Because like, these are all hooked up to receptors. That's where the cable hooks in. So you actually have no blind spot. Right, so you have a blind spot. You have no receptors. What am I saying? And that's kind of crazy. This is one of the many indications that this thing wasn't designed that we live in. Because I wouldn't design it that way. We'll talk more about that, but it's bad design. It works pretty damn well, but it's shitty design. But they're called rods because they're shaped like rods, and they're called cones because they're shaped like cones. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice, easy uh, mnemonic <laughs> device. Oh, I think it's supposed to do that. That's weird. That's not good. So cones are fine detail and color. Uh, and cones really only work in the light. Yeah, with, with some intensity of light. They're concentrated in the fovea, for the rest of you. Fovea is a Latin word, it means pit. So it pisses me off when I hear people say foveal pit. It's like synaptic gap. It's redundant. HIV virus. Pin number. CD disc. Automobile car? No one says that. No one says automobile. 
You're saying, have I done that? I repeat myself. I say things over and over again. Rods are more evenly distributed in the rest of you. Um, and you have many rods to one bipolar cell. So you can see in dim light, but only in black and white. And you'll notice in dim light, yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, because my eyes aren't wired up like this, but the detail isn't as good, and you don't have... It's like you don't see in high definition anymore. It's like you're moving back to standard definition TV at night. Right? When it's dim light, you don't see the detail. Is that true? Yes. Yes, okay, because I don't know. I honestly don't know. My cones are evenly distributed, just like my rods, because they didn't have the melanin to say, go over here. So my cones, I, I have, there's one trick I can do. I have, I have color vision at the periphery. I, that's really quite it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's way better than driving. So one cone to one bipolar cell. Now, what do I mean by that? Let's think about this. Okay, if we've got a cone here, okay, and it goes to one bipolar cell. Now, with rods, we got a rod to say three bipolar cells. What that means is, if a photon of light hits here, that's going to make that fire. But the nice thing about this rod is, if a photon of light hits here, or here, or here, that's going to fire. But that should tell you why. That's going to be that pixel's bigger. You see what I'm saying? So this pixel's actually going to be bigger than this pixel. So that's why you don't see as well in the dark. And this is also why, for example, because I, like I mentioned about my my. Um, cones being equally distributed, but it, my night vision is much more close to normal vision. It used to freak my parents out that I could, it seemed like I could see better in the dark. I can't, but I see closer to normal in the dark. It used to be that, my, my dad said it used to be that like he would put his finger in front of me, this is before I wore glasses, eh? and I wouldn't grab at it. But in the night, I do the thing that babies do when they grab your finger. I don't think I entirely believe that, because I think that might have been you know, a couple of drinks. But it seems to me that he, they probably both noticed, not only that, that I saw more, more like normal during the night. I think that's probably what it was. They have 130 million receptors per retina. Um, so that's 130 million rods and cones. That means you have 130 megapixel odds, right? Except that because of the concentration in your fovea, it's more like about a 650 megapixel eye for the rest of you. Okay? So if you were to build the eye, you have to, if you want to make a camera better than the eye, you have to make a 650 megapixel camera, which they don't do yet. That'll be in phones next week, probably. It's also something quite neat about when you think about uh, the so-called retina display in, in MacBook Pros and, and in um, I, the iPad and the iPhone since the 4, unlike the 3GS, look at this, it's falling apart. I'm waiting for a call from Telus. I, I got my name on a list. If they call now, I'm leaving. <coughs> I got my phone. Just letting you know. I will stop the class. I'm just, I'll leave everything here. I'll not even tear everything down and take it home. And I will go get my phone. Anyway, the way that works, the way you don't see any pixelation in, in, those, in those displays, 
is because there are so many pixels per inch, or per centimeter, whatever you want to use, that the, the photons of light, when they're hitting your eye, you can't, you can't distinguish. Like the display is, that, that's why that display doesn't show uh, in insulation. And it seems so crystal clear. It's kind of cool. 130 million per eye. Okay, let's get at the evolution of this thing. Well, first of all, why are we only sensitive to what we call physical light? So that's one of those questions, like, it sounds like one of those questions you ask when you're high, except it's actually a very good question. Does, remember that whole big, broad range of electromagnetic spectrum? Why can't we see that, too? Why can't I see the Wi-Fi? Why can't I see the uh, infrared? Why, I, why, I should be able, why can't I detect the heat coming off your bodies? Right? Why can't I see ultraviolet? Right? Well, wouldn't it be useful to be able to have, have x-ray vision? You can always send away from x-ray specs on the back of comic books. <laughs> ultraviolet. Um, be great to see ultraviolet. Right? Why not? Well, it tends to be affected by atmospheric conditions. So what happens is the light, um, it polarizes, like it changes to, uh, I don't quite understand this, but polarized light, I want to make that perfectly clear. But it changes the orientation of, uh, so they get polarized, the orientation of the, um, not the particles themselves, but the waves when they're coming out, it kind of changes their direction. I think that's pretty much what that means. I think, I was reviewing a paper once that talked about polarized light, and I, I wrote, one of my comments was, to the editor of the journal, I wish someone could explain this to me. Um, you know what can see UV is a lot of birds. Well, well, it's funny. Atmospheric conditions change depending upon your altitude. Of course they can see UV. Evolutionarily, it makes a great deal of sense. How high up am I? It's like an altimeter. They make their altitude, right? This is very useful for a bird. The highest we can get is like that high. You know, like we can maybe climb a tree being surrounded by other australopithecines like, uh, 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 video? That's about all we're doing. Maybe a lion's getting that at us. We're up a tree going, we're up here. We're going to be up here for a while. Or that one poor guy that's up there getting the, the honey or that. And then he throws the thing down, and then that other guy eats the honeycomb, he's getting stung all in his mouth. Most UV doesn't actually reach the ground, unless you're in one of them tanning beds. It's a running theme today. You have a note from the office? <laughs> I was going to say that. When I was in Newfoundland, uh, it was funny because the first time I taught there, it's, it's, the culture's different there, as you see from Keogh. It's just they're weird. But this <laughs> first day, I put this hand up, and this is an intro site, admittedly. Can I go to the bathroom? I said, Yeah? What grade are you in? Yes, go! You have to ask that. 
So not a lot of UV hits the ground. So frankly, we spend our time down here. What, what would be the advantage of developing sensitivity ultraviolet radiation? None. We're so little that it wouldn't matter. And as I mentioned, birds do see in the ultraviolet. And in fact, there are species of birds that to you and me look the same, the sexes, the males and the females. But uh, I'm pretty sure this is true of black-capped chickadees that the males actually have an ultraviolet patch on their breast. We can't see it, but it's there. How do we know when you can do it? You can take a light meter and you get to uh, detect the wavelengths coming off. That's pretty cool. Birds see a color that we can't see, man. And I don't know what it looks like. You can't know what it looks like. It looks like ultraviolet light, which we can't see. What about, um, oh, the other thing is ultraviolet and infrared light goes through walls and, and objects. That would be awesome. You know what it would be like in Splinter Cell when you put down your uh, infrared goggles so you can see through the door and then you kill the guys as you go in? Or in Rainbow Six? None of you play video games, do you? It's really quite sad. Why am I the most immature person in the room? <laughs> so that would be great. <laughs> it would be cool. But... It would also lead us to making a lot of errors when we're navigating through, say, forests. Like, you know, walking into trees and stuff. We don't want to do that. Now, there are a lot of snakes, for example, see infrared. A lot of bugs see infrared and UV. How do you think mosquitoes find you in the dark? They can see the heat coming off your body. Right? They can see the heat coming off your body. It's not all just smell. But for a mosquito, this makes sense. I have to get the warm-blooded creature and suck its blood. It's what I do. Right? So you can see for us, in fact, these would not really be adaptive. It doesn't make a lot of sense for us to have sensitivity to light in those ranges. And other animals do. Other animals do. Now, this is, again, one of those things you don't think about because it's just second nature. We just see. But the light we see has pretty neat properties. Um, one of the things is it's differentially reflected by different objects. In other words, we see colors. So different wavelengths of light are reflected by different objects. Unlike ultra-infrared uh, light, which is all about heat, so I wouldn't, if it was infrared, I wouldn't see these objects, really, right? I would see the bodies sitting at the, at the desks, but I wouldn't see the desks in, in infrared. Right? Whereas the nice thing what we call visible light is we can get different colors, different wavelengths of light coming off the different objects. That's neat. That allows us to dis dis discriminate between objects. It's actually then really, yeah, is it easy to discriminate different objects. So that's actually quite cool. And we have color vision. Not all species have color vision. Well, we have trichromatic color vision, right? Compare that to, well, rats, for example, have are monochromats. They only see black and white. Everything to them looks like, like, a, like a 1940s movie. 
Little rats walking around looking for cheese. 1940s guy. 1940s guy, anybody know? So the neat thing about that is that they don't think about it. Where, where rats live? Well, rats, rat, hey, rat, rats are nocturnal. Remember this thing here? We're diurnal. We are up in the day. You look at dogs, for example, on the other hand, dogs are dichromats. They can see some colors, but not all colors, but not the, uh, the range of colors we can see. They don't have blue-yellow cones. Uh, dogs. Think cats in the same way? Okay. Bats and catches? Cats. Bats, I, 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 I'd be certain, are monochromats. Oh. Yeah, almost certain. I just guess, but I'm... There'd be no... Re cats are, are, are nocturnal animals. If you're nocturnal, what's the advantage of seeing different colors? Yeah. Not much. Not enough light to reflect, you know? Now, the eye itself is pretty poorly designed. Here's, here's some bad design features of the human eye. Or of the mammalian eye. Let's go with that. Or we could even go into go so far as to say the vertebrate eye. We have a blind spot. Now I know our brain fills it in, so we don't notice we have a blind spot. But we do have a blind spot. Would you have built the blind spot in? Probably not. Would you make um, one bit of the retina really sensitive? Why wouldn't you make the whole retina really sensitive? Right? That's the fovea. Again, if I was building this thing, if I was an engineer designing this, if I was the intelligent designer, that was a mistake. That was, they maybe farmed that out to people in another little outsourcing. And I'm editing out jokes that could be offensive to, on many levels. <laughs> so I just, I just edited them all out right there. Um, would you install the retina backwards? Again, it's just kind of odd that you would make that kind of lens. Now, the question though, and again, this is a question you hear a lot from intelligent design advocates. Here's the question, how would um, an eye evolve? Because it's a really complicated piece of gear. And in fact, it's often brought up by ID folks as this is the thing that shows that there must be a design. And if you don't know about this, you think, geez, you know, you've got a point. Eyes are pretty complicated. Um, well, it's, first of all, it's evolved independently about 60 times the history of the animal kingdom. How would this happen? How would this happen? Well, in Climbing Mountain Probable, which is a great title for a book, uh, Richard Dawkins talks about how would this work. And people ask Dawkins, you know, well, if, there's in if it's all about intermediate forms, what, what good would half an eye be? And his response usually is half as good as a whole eye. On a lot of um, reptiles, lizards, okay, they have a spot in the back of their head that is sensitive to light. It's not an eye. It's two eyes like we do. But in the back of their head, they have a spot that's sensitive to light, and it's actually attached. It's, it projects to the SCN. It's what wakes them up in the morning. It detects light. So if we just had, that's a piece of skin. That's my drawing of skin, it's just a straight line. <laughs> that's skin. Okay, this is anatomy 101, there's skin. So if you got the piece of skin, it's pretty easy to make um, 
something that's photosensitive, you just need pigments. Right? We have, except for me, everybody else in the room has pigment in their skin. And with exposure to light, it changes. Right? So that's actually a pretty easy thing to build. Evolution does that already. So if we have that, so the light hits, so here are the photons of light from all kinds of different angles. What can't that kind of patch of skin, what, 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 there's a lot of things our light can do, what can that thing not do? What's, what's some stuff it can't do? Yeah, it can't move. Why do we move our eyes around? No, because I can see about the three ahead. Focus is also is, is true. Yeah. What else? So it can't focus. So it can't tell the difference far to near. That's good. What else can it do? Why do you move your eyes? You look over here, so you, you can tell where something is. Right? Is that what you're going to say, Sophie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's to detect where something is. In fact, this can't even detect. That's why, notice I drew them all from coming from different angles. <laughs> this can't even detect where the, the different waves of light are coming from, right? It can't do that. What could? Well, we can't jump from flat line to beautiful eye. It's not going to work. That'd be a big, that's a lot of really weird mutations at once. What could you do? What could you do to detect where these arrows are coming from? Because look, if this thing of light goes there, and this one goes there, can you tell the difference? No, because they both made this part of flat piece of skin where it has a receptor for light. Fine. What can do that? Yeah, so... Maybe start making a curve? Hit. Yeah, exactly. So what if we did it like this? Ah. Now, the angle will be a little easier to detect. It's not great, this ain't an eye. But that's just a little bit more. And some lizards on the back of their heads have a little depression in their third eye. The back of their head. And again, I'm not going to call that, I, I, when I put third eye, put that in air quotes, even though I hate air <laughs> quotes. It's not an eye, it's a light sensitive patch of skin. I'm just what? thinking of like a mother lizard going, see, I've got eyes in the back, back of my, my head. Back of my head, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I really literally have proto-eye on the back of my head. And so do you. I'm going to use that. No, you can't. I got a proto-eye in the back of my head. Yeah. Can't you see this depression <laughs> in the back of my head that is sensitive to light? I can just tell direction, nothing else. I can't focus. Right? Who mentioned, one of you guys mentioned focusing. You mentioned focusing. How would we make this thing able to now? We can't tell how far away something is. How could we do something like focusing? What could we do? And then think of something plausible because we're thinking about small steps and evolution works in small steps. Pupil work wouldn't be right away. I don't think it'd be right away. I think before a pupil, you might make something that's like a lens. Why not just put, now again, look our next step, which is still of our pit. And we'll just put some clear skin over top of it. 
Okay? Now this, again, this, I, I, this is really, this uh, skin that I've drawn here, <laughs> this is really, really, you know, uh, zoomed in. It's not like it's, it's that deep. And there's this hunk of skin that you put your finger through, okay? And again, we see reptiles that are like that too. The idea with the pupil now, now you can start to see what the, the, the next steps start to get actually pretty simple. That we go from that, and again, each time you're probably going to make that hit deeper. Well, you probably want to protect that. And then you probably want to be able to protect it and just have little bits of light that can accommodate and look, we just made an eye. It's actually not as complicated as people make it out to be. It's hard at first to think, what? How could that be? But frankly, this is not, those aren't horribly, I mean, this takes millions and millions of years, but it's not out of nothing. It's not out of whole cloth. Evolution doesn't work that way. Right? It doesn't, and that's the misunderstanding, I think, that people that can't get their head around the evolution, say, of an eye, you gotta tell them, no, it didn't just happen at once. And you gotta understand also that this is more useful than nothing. And this is more useful than this, and this is better than this, and this than this, and etc. That's the, the, the steps you have to take. Because I think everybody doesn't accept it. It's not like they're all. I think the people that are that are driving that conversation are are, are being disingenuous. But I actually I, I'm certain that people that believe in things like ID, as a rule, they're being disingenuous. They really wonder these things, and I don't think they were taught evolution properly in school. So this is actually a pretty simple set of steps. Right? It takes a lot. It takes a lot. It's also not the only way we can make an eye. It's great, works great in humans. Alright. Question about that? It's kind of cool, right? Other senses. Um, well, taste and smell. These are our chemical senses. Smell is probably our oldest chemical sense, our oldest sense. When I say our, I mean animals. Right? Detecting concentrations of chemicals, and that's all that smell is doing. Detecting concentration of chemicals is something that a nematode, three, two neurons, it can do. Wow. So a nematode can do that. Simple animal. So all you're doing is detecting concentration of chemicals. You can see how this would be very useful. This is useful in detecting food. This is useful in detecting mates. Right, but remember you always have, that literally that means literally, molecules of whatever you are smelling are in your nose. So if you smell farts, like there's actual <laughs> fart in your nose, just remember that. When you drive by the, uh, <coughs> you ever go by that sewage treatment plant? Oh, yeah. It's horrible, right? It, it can be, it isn't always, but it has these times. My son called it um, a fart factory one day. <laughs> It's a fart factory, he says. Yeah, it's, that's what they do there. They build farts and they, they <laughs> ship them out to people. It's, uh... But you actually remember that's in your nose. <laughs> I love telling people things like that. <laughs> it smells good um, because we have to be able to detect. Well, like you have to know who farted. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> so you have to be able to tell. Um, no, but you have to be able to tell, like, like there are chemicals we need to ingest and chemicals we shouldn't ingest. Farts, for example. Okay, I gotta stop with the farts jokes, because it's like I'm four. You know? I have an 11-year-old at home, it's bad enough as it is. Little boy. 
Jeez. We can detect around one part per 10 billion of most smells. That's amazing. That's really not much of a con concentration. That's well below danger level of almost anything except, say, nerve gas. Right? That's incredible. We always go around saying things, you know, our sense of smell isn't very good. Yeah, compared to like a bloodhound, yeah, it probably isn't. But we don't live in a world, we don't live in a smelly world. We, we're standing up. If you spend all your time on the ground, you live in a smellier world. In a world where things smell. One man has the courage to stand up. So, if you're always if you're always near the ground, and this is, you know, um, you can think about it, a dog is always down there, and there's no more stuff. Now, does they have better sense of smell? There's no doubt. There's no doubt. They're likely not doing any better than that, though. It's that they can detect the differences better than we can. Okay. Well, here's an interesting piece of data. We find symmetry beautiful. Um, that's easy to show when you look at how symmetrical faces are. Asymmetrical faces are not beautiful. We, we tend to find that, okay? On average, we tend to find almost symmetrical faces beautiful. Okay? That's just how it works. Why? Well, functionally, um, bilateral symmetry, you know, animals are like that. So if you've developed properly and not have anything wrong with you, you likely are symmetrical. So it's a good idea to be attracted to symmetry. Makes sense. Okay? Makes sense to be attracted to symmetry. It also probably shows that not only did you have nothing wrong with you when you're developing, you probably have nothing wrong with you now. You aren't carrying a big parasite load. You think, well, hopefully I'm not carrying it. Well, you're carrying some. But think about it, for the longest time we lived as hunter-gatherers, it... um... <laughs> I know I hear the phone ring, I forget. Let it go once. I once almost took a guy's phone and rang, but it was playing, his, his ringtone was the Super Mario Brothers theme, and I said, no, you're okay. That was, that was, that was okay. Um, where was it? Right, yeah, symmetry. So, a parasite load is something that will affect, in other words, your set. That's going to affect <coughs> symmetry again, because maybe you have one eye that's swelled up, things like that. Okay? So we're attracted to symmetry. It makes complete sense. Okay, now where does smell come into this? When you take people and, so this is women smelling men, or men smelling women, how do you do these experiments? You get people to sweat in the clean t-shirts. Seriously. You get them sweat in the clean t-shirts for a day. They can't wear any uh, deodorant or use any soap or anything all day. You take the t-shirts from them and you take the armpits out of the t-shirts and you put them in the tubes. And you have people smell them. And you say, which one? No, they don't go work out. No, it's regular day. What do you find most attractive? Which smells do you like? 
And women and men like the smell of, a tr of more symmetrical women and or men, depending on what your interest is, sexually. And that's pretty cool that we can detect it based on how somebody smells. Wow, you smell pretty symmetrical. <laughs> <laughs> have the test found too that like people are usually um, attracted more to people that have similar like um, features as them? Like yep. if you look at couples, a lot yep. of them have the same features. Like, yep. Yep, people, uh, similarity, opposites attract, that's bullshit. Yeah. Simply isn't true. Um, and people always say, oh, people, as they get older, lifting, they look more alike. No, they already look alike. Yeah. Uh, people are attracted to people that are similar to them. You don't want to be too similar, because then it's a close relative. And a close, <laughs> no, seriously, and a close relative, you get recessive genes. You don't want to be different, right? Then you end up with non-symmetrical kids. Um, you want to be just similar enough. You probably don't want to be just random chance. Because you know what would be nice is if we shared some other genes with each other. Not very many, because you don't need too many because then you get to put recessive gene problems. But just enough that it's a little more than chance. Right? Just a little more than chance. And in fact, that's the case. Partly we're perhaps doing this through smell, but that's actually the case. With, with attraction stuff, which is fascinating stuff. Um, it's also true with your friends. Your friends tend to have, uh, for example, more similar blood type uh, to you than you would expect by chance. And that probably, is also, that probably is done through smell. We probably are detecting blood type of friends. We are probably also detecting, uh, do I have that as my next point? Because <laughs> if I do, it. Oh yeah, that's kind of part of the next point. Um, but yeah, with friends detect, Friend, your, your friends have or more likely have the same blood type as you than you would expect or any chance. Well, and usually when you see like groups of friends, so a lot of them will look alike. Yeah. Like they're all attractive. With their, not that I'm saying they're all attractive, but I'm saying you're going to have yeah. people that kind of look No, that's, that's true. That's true. And it's not just that they all dress similar. Yeah. Uh, babies can recognize their own baby's poop. Mothers can recognize their own baby's poop. Babies recognize their baby's poop. That's a new show on TLC. <laughs> Babies having babies. That'll be a show. You just give it time. How do I do these experiments? Um, first of all, if you've ever had a kid, you know that newborn baby poop actually, I don't mean right after when it's black and like hard <laughs> for the day and a half. No, there's about two days there where it's really, really nasty. And it's like hard and it's sticky and it's horrible. And after that, it's like, especially if the recipe, it's, it's like caramelized sugar. I wouldn't. <laughs> I would put it on ice cream, but it's not that gross. It gets gross when they start eating the food you're eating, and then they just do turrets, right? But, but before that, it's just it's it's runny and it looks like it's it's a little sticky, but it doesn't smell like shit. No, I'm serious, right? Right? So for you guys, kid, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's not. It's not. It's not a happy smell, but it's not like you go after when they're about two and you're Christ, what did you eat? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, a, it's a different deal. Yeah. Okay? So the interesting thing here is that you can take mothers of newborns and they can detect <coughs> their own baby's crap by smell. It's a weird experiment. I have a friend who runs these kind of things. Girl I went to did an undergrad with. She runs experiments like this. 
How are they doing? How are you doing this? Um, I know for sure that that, that um, there is a set of genes called the MHC, and that set of genes is one of the things it does is it puts the odor in your urine. Okay, it's it just that's what the odor in the pee except for like asparagus and things like that. <laughs> you know, the odor in your pee, you can detect that. And it correlates with your MHC genes. Okay? Now, the cool thing there is that the MHC are the genes that code for your immune system. And MHC probably also codes for things like the smell and body odor. And it probably also helps code for the smell. And, like, it's just a byproduct, it's the smell and poop. So, when you put all that together, we are able to recognize people, for example, that may be symmetrical, but also people that, when we talk about attraction, people that smell like their genes are just different enough from us that we want to have a different immune system when you're going to mate with somebody, because you want your kid to have as much immunity as possible. So it's probably got something to do with your MHC complex genes, which is kind of wild. But we know this from all kinds of studies of all kinds of animals that they can detect. Was that my? Is that my piss? It's a new. That's another new show on TLC. It's right after that. Here comes Honey Boo Boo show. It's, is that my piss? It's going to be a new show. I've never seen that other show, by the way. I saw a clip of it on YouTube because somebody talked about it, and it's stupid. Are people that freaking stupid? Yeah. Okay. Apparently they are. But I mean, I I just I'm sad. Yeah. It's about a kids in pageants. You know those kid pageants? Oh, yeah. Those are horrible. And They're really, I got a buddy who's a, a media buyer kind of guy in New York. And he's always posting things about TV shows on his Facebook timeline. Um, and uh, <laughs> he pointed this show out and, you know, how do you... It was, and I didn't know what it was. And I went, oh... I don't even know if I get TLC. I honestly don't. I probably do. We get almost all the channels. Except the military. I really want the military channel. Just want to see more shows with explosions. All right. Now that you know that. So if you're looking for a gift for me, um, subscription to the military channel. Taste. What do we taste? Salt. Well, we need sodium and chloride for our freaking brains to work. That's important. Sweet. Our bodies run around sugar. Sour. Oh, why sour? Sour typically isn't something you like as a kid. You might like sour when you're older. You learn to appreciate sour flavors. But you don't like sour. Take some lemon juice and put it in a baby's mouth and watch the reaction. Right? You put it in the end of your finger, a little lemon juice, put it in the baby's mouth. Then they'll give you the same dis- the disgust reaction. Right? They'll give Which is actually cross-cultural. It's... Close one down and push out what you put in. It's, it's functional, that disgusting act. Those are acids. Acids are bad. Right? You can get hurt by eating stronger acids. Okay? Uh, bitter things, which again, we don't tend to appreciate until we get older. You very rarely hear a six-year-old say, I like the bitter notes in this. 
Right? That happens when you get older. Like, you remember when you were a kid and you tried your mom's coffee? You're like, oh, God, how can you? That's horrible. It's so bitter. You get older, it's like, oh, yeah, it's bitter of it. Just the way I like it, right? Yeah. Or beer. We like beer with a lot of hops in it, right? And that's the bitterness. It tends to be stuff that's really bad, like poisonous. It tends to be things like herbs. And mo- many, many herbs, if you eat too many of them, too much, you can really damage yourself. Like way too much pesto. Things like sage, thyme, things like that. I- I'm really sensitive to sage. If I eat a little bit of sage, I get all... The only thing part of allergic to as far as food goes. But it can be really damaging to Oh, in huge quantities, right? Things that are really bitter. Uh, we, have, we have detectors for MSG, for, 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 well, for glutamate. We have taste buds for glutamate. Uh, this makes sense. Glutamate is the most common neurotransmitter in our nervous system. We probably should not just build our own, but we should get some from food. Uh, MSG, monosodium, glutamate. We might have them also for carbohydrates. We're not sure. Some people, some research shows we have taste buds for carbohydrates. Others says we doesn't. Says we doesn't. Says we don't. MSG, by the way, is not dangerous. Don't let anybody tell you they are allergic to MSG because they are not. They can't be. If you were allergic to MSG, you would be allergic to your own brain because it's full of glutamate or you'd be also to your own tears because salt in your tears, sodium chloride, be sodium chloride. So you're allergic to your brain and to your own tears. That's, that sounds like a, a title of a bad song. I'm allergic to my tears. You know. MSG doesn't give anybody headaches. It doesn't. People that are allergic to like gluten. Oh, gluten's a different thing. People can really be, people can really be bad, have celiac disease. That's dangerous. That's a different thing. Because my cousin went to a naturopath. That's a mistake. Well, yeah. She believes that. Oh, that's fine. But I'm just saying, like, she finds and now she doesn't eat anything with gluten. It actually helps her. Like, she. Oh, yeah. Gluten is one of these things where, uh, and we'll talk about this, when we talk about, we'll eventually talk about diet. And there's a whole, idea of the Paleolithic diet where they didn't eat a lot of gluten from grain and the idea that we're all somewhat sensitive to gluten and it's if not everybody agrees with that. That's a pretty controversial thing in mainstream science. There are people that really are allergic to gluten. People have celiacs. It's just serious stuff. It's debilitating when they eat gluten. So I'm not going to dismiss that like I do MSG because MSG is harmless. Well, if you have about three pounds of MSG in one sitting, you will die. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you will. Same thing would be with uh, table salt. You don't have to, you know, nobody eats three pounds at table salt. It's actually lower than a pound and a half of table salt. At once. That'll kill you. But nobody eats that. Right? (laughs) You know, there's a lethal dose of everything. You can drink too much water. Okay? MSG's not going to hurt you. Just want to keep that. People should stop being afraid. It's delicious. It makes food taste good. There's a reason, in fact, that snacks are tasty evolutionarily. Why are snacks so tasty? Well, they're full of salt. Mmm. We like salt. We eat salt for our brains to run. And our rest of our life. We like sweet because we need sugar. We probably 
Like I said, there's, there's pretty good data, but it's not totally convincing. Carbohydrates as well. Let's see, where can you get, but carbohydrates break down into sugars anyway. Where can you get sweet and salt together? Well, in icing, nature's perfect food, <laughs> right? You got sweet, you got a little bit of salt, you got some, you got the, the delicious fattiness. You're gonna live forever. Right? Look what I just said. Imagine that with those guys with that with that honeycomb and walking with cavemen. If you could go back in time and just bring them a cake. They <laughs> 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 do that until you give them a cake and they go, oh, you are a leader now. You are now our god. Right? So there's a reason snacks taste good. We don't need the food we have. The food we eat today, you know, we couldn't get sugar in industrial quantities like we can now until after World War II. You couldn't go and buy a sugar, pound of sugar for four bucks. Well, four bucks would have been a lot of money then. But for the equivalent, sugar was expensive. Refined flour was really expensive. Again, that's carbohydrates, but they break down into sugars. We eat so much crap today that we just couldn't before. It's, there is more and more data suggesting that people are overweight not because of being inactive, but it doesn't help. Doesn't help. Not because of eating too much, it's eating too much of the wrong things. People are eating a lot of carbohydrates and a lot of refined sugar. Right? That's what people are eating. And I, I know this is anecdotal. There's also data behind that. But think about this. How many people, when you're grocery shopping, do you see that are really kind of too big? And they're pushing a cart. And what's in their cart? Crap. And it's processed. It's full of carbs. Right? It's not if you see fatty meat in their thing, which is probably pretty good for you. You see, oh, look, they've got four kinds of <laughs> Pop-Tarts, <laughs> including the new Pop-Tarts that have Pop-Tarts inside the Pop-Tarts, which are just coming. <laughs> the Pop-Tarts stuff Pop-Tarts. Those are great. And look, they got a three-gallon tub of icing but no cake mix. They're just going to eat icing by the handful. That's going to make you fat. You know, the, the, again, the data are increasingly showing that this is why that, you ever heard of the Dr. Atkins diet, the low-carb diet? This is why you lose weight with that diet. The one where you eat meat and fat as much as you want. It's a fun diet. It's, a, it's an expensive drinking man's diet is what it is. Because you can drink also straight alcohol. You just can't drink beer or wine. Because um, it has no carbs. You really shouldn't. It says that the diet, but you can't. There's no carbs. But it's, it's, it's expensive. But it's, it's, it's the man's diet. It's like, what's for dinner? Steak. What's the side dish? Well, it's a turf and turf. We're having steak and, and, and pork chops for dinner. Um, what's for, for breakfast? A little bacon and sausage and bacon. It's great. I did it once. I actually wanted some chips. Couldn't make chips because that's carbs, right? So I sliced pepperoni really thin and I deep fried it and dipped it in cheese. And I lost weight. 12 pounds in seven days eating just handfuls of butter. So the thing is, that is probably closer to the way we evolved to eat. Right? You can take that stuff too far, but that's probably closer. 
Um, moths and bats, the idea of coevolution. This is the idea that the moths that there are moths that, 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 that detect where bats are. Um, they have ears that are totally tuned into where to, to, to the bat sonar. Totally tuned into it to the point where that's all their ears do. Noctoid moths is detect bats. We can look at guppies and prawns. Um, in South America, you know, guppy, it's funny, you don't ever think that guppies live out in the wild, but they do. So there's guppies. One of the things that guppies are attracted to, guppy females like guppy males that have red stripes on them. If you, guppy females dig that for some reason, We'll talk about sexual selection at some point. It's all it is. Just, it's just it's whatever. Red on it's a red stripe on the male. Um, red coloration. The females really like that. But males um, aren't. You don't see many red stripe puppies. And why is that? Well, the prawns, the local prawns in that area, and they're like prawns like a big um, shrimp with kind of like claws. Okay, so it's kind of like a lobster shrimp. Sounds delicious. They're, what, what is their vision most sensitive to? It's to red. So while the females still have a preference for red, colored males, the males aren't, the red males aren't there. And it's not because they all got eaten, they just aren't there. So it's driven evolution of the males one way towards more orange color, the color we're used to seeing of guppies, right? But the females still prefer this ancestral form that's red. The key point here is that evolution is affected by others' abilities. So the moths changed, their, their, their ear changed and eventually is totally tuned into the frequencies that bats send out when they're sending out sonar pulses. Guppies, there's a preference there. But the prawns have driven the male evolution towards a different coloration. Guppies and prawns. It sounds delicious, actually, doesn't it? We're gonna get wow. Local prawns. It's like an arms race. Evolution is an arms race. It really is. Okay? This prey and predator are always driving each other. Prey changes, predator changes, predator changes, prey changes. Even though, hmm. I'm going to save that last slide till next time because it's a, it's a bit of a complicated and subtle thing, modularity. And I, I want to talk about that when I know I have 10 or 15 minutes if I need it. So we'll finish this stuff up on Wednesday. Thanks, guys. Things have been okay. I'm a zombie now I really wish you'd let us in I think I speak for all of us When I say I understand Why you folks might hesitate To submit to our demand But here's an FYI You're all gonna
I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. If you open up the door, we'll all come inside and eat your brain. I don't want to nitpick, Tom, but is this really your plan? Spend your whole life locked inside a mall. Maybe that's okay for now, but someday you'll be out of and you'll have to make the call I'm not surprised to see you haven't thought it through enough You never had the head for all that bigger picture stuff But Tom, that's what I do And I plan on eating you slowly I mean, no one's gonna eat your eyes. All we want to do is eat your brains. We're at an impasse here. Maybe we should compromise. If you open up the door, we'll all come inside and eat your brains. I'd like to help you, Tom. podcast is released under a Creative Commons copyright share like 2.5 Canada. Uh, feel free to redistribute the information as you see fit, but please don't make any money out of it. And if you do, you got to tell me because I'm reserving that right. Giving up all the other ones, including uh, mash it up any way you want, okay? Um, 
Also, of course, give me attribution. If you want to get a hold of me, my email address is dave.broadbeck, B-R-O-D-B-E-C-K, at algomau.ca. My website is people.auc.ca slash broadbeck slash blog. Uh, most of the music, uh, all the music's Podsafe, and most of it comes from garageband.com or the Podsafe Music Network. See you next time.